Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me a delicious food such as I love. That's the first of three times he will say that he loves food. And bring to me, uh, bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening, this is Isaac's wife, when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father uh, speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voices, do what I command, Go to the flock and bring to me two young goats so that I may prepare them for delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garment of Esau, her son, which uh, were with her in the house, and he put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skin of the goat she put on his hands and a smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food in it, and the bread which he prepared into his hands, the, the, uh, the hands of the son of Jacob. And he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who fell on him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelt the garment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who cursed you, and blessed is everyone who blessed you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, 
And Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father rise and eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother, he came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved the blessing for me? Isaac answered and said, Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all of his brothers I have given to him for servant, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, but the words of Esau, her oldest son, were told to Rebekah. So she went and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, your brother in Haran, and stay there a while until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger turns away from you and forgets all that you've done. And I will send and bring from there, and you will come back in only a few days, he says. She says. Now that's a significant portion of the story. I hope that it resonated. I hope that it settled in your soul a little bit because it's tremendously important. It's talking about God's blessing. The blessing that was given in what we just read is a remarkable blessing. It's a very mysterious story when you read it because there's so many things, as you might have heard it this morning, that don't resonate with your mind. Why is this so dramatic? It's just words. Why is someone trembling? Why is Esau crying? You see, with this blessing that came to Jacob, 
You find him to be, in Scripture, a man of prayer. He is a man who is walking with the Lord. But the reality here in what we just read is there's none of that in his life. He's not praying to God. He's not communing with God. There's no interaction between him and God in any of this story. But he is looking for something. He does believe there's something out there to be had. There's a benefit that could come his way. But nothing more than just a man who is trying to take advantage of a situation. See, Jacob grew up in a Christian home, you could say. He grew up in a home that had the covenant blessings of God. It comes down to two essential points, which is, This birthright and this blessing. You heard the other brother, Esau, complaining that now not only has his birthright been taken, but also his blessing has been taken. The birthright was a right to inherit. A right to have all the things of the father. And the firstborn would get a double portion of that. The firstborn was Esau. Now what Jacob did is he took stew, food that he knew his brother would like, he'd love, and he tempted him with it and said, if you were really hungry enough that you needed this, I will give it to you for a birthright. And we're told in scripture that Esau despised his birthright. He did not see it as valuable for what it really was. And he gave it away almost so easily over just a pot of stew. And here you find Jacob doing the exact same thing to his father. Now, instead of tricking his brother for the birthright, he's tricking his father for the blessing. And of course, how does he do it? It has to do with food. He has to go and make something very tasty that... We're told Isaac loved. He loved this tasty food. God's blessings are real. To say it this way, Jacob understood what was going on here. He knew that this blessing, the deathbed blessing in the ancient world, was a big deal. It was treated as prophetic. It was treated as absolutely true. It was treated as something that could not be altered, that was inviolable. That's why there's so much drama around this scene, around this story. Everything's on the line. They really believe this. They really believe that whatever he says there at the end of his life has to transpire. It is prophetic with almost a deterministic outcome. That if the old man blesses you this way on his deathbed, it will come to pass. And Jacob wants that really bad. And what you find when you read the story is that there's no contradiction to say that it wasn't real. It's not as though Jacob and Esau were just superstitiously old ancient people that had an abnormal confidence in an old man's words. The scriptures let it sit there to give you the impression that yes, This was all very important. The blessings of God are real. But it's not because of Jacob. It's because of the story. This is one page in all of scripture. This is one page in the actual eternal 
promises of God. Therefore, this was not superstitious. Therefore, it was not the fact that maybe we just believe that Isaac's words are very powerful. Because they're not. They're just like yours and mine. But he was connected to an eternal promise through his father Abraham. And this promise was bigger than both of them. And the sons were aware of that at this point. The blessings of God are real. It's not just a story. The scriptures lay out obviously that everything is a significant historical narrative. Many non-Christians, atheist type, have looked at the scriptures and said, one thing we know is that the scriptures intend you to take them very, very seriously. So one man named Eric Auerbach wrote a book. He wrote it, it's called uh, Mimesis, which means um, to mimic, to... to, to uh, do something similar to make a sign or to, to, to um, I don't know, imitate something. What he did is he, he evaluated. He was a scholar of, of sorts that looked at all the different genres of ancient literature. And he would read all throughout Homer, for example, for the Greek culture. And then he would read all of the Old Testament. And as not a believer, not anyone who has allegiance to the word of God... He would say, here's the fact that I see. The scriptures are remarkable. Because when you read, he says, Homer, everything is on the surface. Everything is as plain as day. There's this trial here, or this problem here, and all this myth. and all The, the, the morals are no different than reading children's tales. Than the, the, the tortoise and the hare. There's no difference here when you read these things. But he said, when you read the scriptures, they intend you to take this seriously. That this is actually real history. That this is actually an interpretation, a sign of reality. That is to say, when it is all on the line about this blessing, it's not about Zeus with lightning bolts. Which many would say, that, for example, Homer or the other Greek writers did not intend you to take them seriously. They knew they were making up lies. They knew they were making up fiction. They knew they were making up fables. And he says, but when you read the Bible, it's all on the line. It's all real. There's really weeping over a lack of blessing. Just spoken words. Why? Why is this so serious? Because the blessings of Christ are real. You find Isaac trembling. Esau walks in. Isaac trembles, worrying. Oh no, I gave the blessing to the wrong person. And then Esau responds and says, is there anything for me? Do you have only one blessing, Father? And he weeps over words. What did he really get? Did he get a pile of gold? Well, he just said it. Why is it so serious? Because these blessings, these blessings are real. And because they are real, they can actually be missed. People try to force me to go to the driving range. And I go if there's the right people there and it's worth my time. But I don't go there to miss golf balls because that's what I would do. But the reason I would miss those golf balls time and time again 
and send them really tight and maybe hit the person next to me is because they're real. We live in a real world. Have you ever dreamt? They say there's so many things you can't do in dreams. People have done studies. You, you, oftentimes you won't see a, your own smartphone in a dream for some reason. When you look in a mirror while you're in a dream, you won't see yourself usually. Uh, usually in a dream you can't read. There's no, you don't read or write. Or, everything's very hazy. It's, it's, it's a subconscious world. It's not a real world. You're dreaming. You know a dream when someone's chasing you and you want to run faster and you just can't? That, that's a normal experience. We, we laugh because we all have experienced that, right? Because it's not real. Your, your body's not connected to your brain in that way while you're sleeping and you're suppressing your nervous system so that your feet aren't really moving and you think you should move faster because you know how fast you could move in the real world, but in your dreams you can't fight, you can't run, you can't jump. You always aren't doing things the right way because it's not real. But if I really want to hit a golf ball in the real world, I will hit it or I will miss it. The reality with God's blessings is that they're real. The reason Esau is crying is because it was a real blessing and he really missed it. Do you see? It's real. This is not a dream. This is not a fable. The scriptures are saying it's all on the line. Everything matters. Everything is real. Because of Christ, the gospel is this prophetic blessing, this absolute blessing that can come, that has no way of being altered, as Isaac's could not even be altered by his own volition. Isaac couldn't take his words back. Even they were his own words and he was bound to them. Because it's all tied to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, God the Father blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has called us to be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption to be his own sons. He pray, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in this beloved, in Jesus Christ, for redemption. Through his blood and the forgiveness of all of our sins. Forgiveness of every one of them. It's real. Those blessings are tied to the eternal son of God. And so here we find three ways. From looking at this story as it is. There are three distinct ways in which you should see that God's blessings are very, very real in this world. It is in this, that his blessings insist, they subsist, and they persist. And you're like, my goodness gracious, why did you do that? It makes me, it helps me think of it. It helps me remember. They insist, they subsist, and they persist. God's blessings are wrapped up in this three. Insisting in the fact that it continues through history. It has to happen. They subsist in the fact that they stand, they remain, they cannot be altered. And the blessings of God persist. That is, they move forward in the midst of great opposition. And his blessings cannot be stopped. They persist to the end. So let's find that in the text and see the wisdom of God's word. These blessings insist in the fact that they are historical. They are biological. That is, they continue. It is from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. They are locked in time, in history, in life, in flesh, in blood. It goes from a father to a son. 
And then from another father to another son. And then from another father to another son. All the way down to our Lord, Jesus Christ himself. God has put his blessings in this world in the same way he has wired our biology and humanity and social constructs. That is, through family, through generation, God's blessings have to move forward. They cannot be stopped this way. He has made the world this way. Some could say he has made us this way for this purpose, for God's blessings and redemption actually precede the actual fall of humanity. God knows the beginning from the end. Even if there weren't any sin, he understood that he was going to go this way. He understood he would have to make man a woman to have union, to have life. It's all tied to his absolute purposes. Because Ephesians even lays out the fact that these promises are the praise of his glorious grace. His blessings aren't even primarily or only at least just to save us and wipe away our sins. His blessings are there so that he would be praised forever. Forever. And it can't be stopped. It's kind of like, maybe you've seen this commercial. It's an old commercial. It's been, it got uh, abused. It was so good. It's one of those commercials that was so good, you saw it all the time. It was a State Farm commercial. Maybe I'm going to describe it and you're going to be like, hey, I think I've definitely seen that 500 times. So there's a young guy next to a pool and he says, I'm never getting married. And then it flashes over to the next scene. And he's looking out for a ring. And he gets married. And then he's with his wife on the plane. And a crying baby walks by the aisle. And he leans over to her and says, we're never having children. And then the next scene is her pushing a baby. And so they're there in their apartment with the baby eating dinner over the city skyline in the window. And they say, we're never, never moving to the suburbs. And the next scene, they're standing in their yard of their suburban house as a minivan drives by. And he says, we're never getting one of those minivans. <laughs> and the next scene is him washing a minivan. See, there is an insistence in life. It's very hard to not want to move forward with marriage, move forward with children. That insistence, that, that desire inside, you just can't get it away. God wrapped up salvation in that process. It must insist. It must go from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And the, the Savior must be born of a virgin. He must come. God's blessings insist. Now, Isaac is insisting in the wrong direction. Look, he is a blind man, we're told. He is not only blind, but it is an image of him being spiritually blind. Spiritually obtuse. He is evaluating this whole situation in the natural realm. He has a son. His son is the firstborn, Esau. Esau should receive the blessing. It is his right. And so Esau is strong, he's rugged, he's assertive, he's the firstborn, and he is Isaac's favorite. And then you have Jacob, who's domesticated, favored by his mother, and he's not invited to this blessing. Normally at the deathbed blessing, the man would call all his children together and in time give them blessings individually. The worst part of this whole story is he only speaks to his oldest he has a favored. He makes a plan to only give one blessing to one son. And he is a fool. 
He is driven by his senses. He is sensual. He is not interested in the kingdom of God. He has no spiritual light. He's interested in food. He loves food. Three times we're told he loves food. He loves his oldest son because of the food he makes. That's how he's thinking. That's the level in which he's operating on the kingdom of God. He's a blind man. And he's sensual as impulse. And his father is like his son. Esau is very sensual. He always wants food. And we were told earlier that he marries two other Hittite women. Which no one else does. He's driven by his food or by his sexual habits. Without consequence to the kingdom of God. He does not care about these promises that must extend through his family. Isaac is ignored entirely. We're told earlier in Genesis 25 that Isaac would be the one. That the older would serve the younger. And then um, Jacob completely uh, is ignored. Next step. Blessings subsist. Not only do they insist, they subsist. And this is the most remarkable. Think of this. Think of how this story plays out. This is the one that's most striking. When you read it, you're thinking, why is this such a big deal? Why can't he just say, I take it back. Why can't he just do that? Cause God's blessings subsist. That is, they remain in existence. They remain in force. They remain in effect. They are not just human words. God's blessings are substantive. There are substances behind God's blessings. There is something to be said behind the word. There is no do-over. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for anyone who believes unto salvation. The blessings carry promises of life. And it doesn't matter who's saying the gospel. You don't even have to be a Christian to speak the gospel beautifully. The power rests nothing in the person. That's why you can see preachers fall, but their ministries be, do great. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the person. We are talking about eternal blessings that have come before the beginning of time. And if there's anything good that comes out of them, it is because there is substance behind them. They are substantive promises. There is a substance to God's word. Esau, Esau entered... And identified himself to Isaac. And he says, here I am with your food. And then Isaac says, who has hunted the game? And I ate. And he came before you. And he says, I have blessed him. Whoever this person was that came before you. He says, I have blessed him. And he will be blessed. He couldn't take it back. The blessing of God went out. And it's there. It's upon the person that it fell. And Esau responds, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he says, Your brother came in deceitfully. And he says, He has taken your blessing away. It was there for a time. A spoken word. And he says, Bless me, even me too, my father. And Isaac explains. He says, Behold, I have made him lord over you. I have given him as a servant's grains and wine. And then he says at the end of it all, before he starts crying, my son, what can I do for you? The blessing is gone. There was a real thing that happened through the speaking of words. Does that sound anything like the gospel? See, the gospel is not words on the wind. 
The gospel is the power of God that goes out and brings blessings to the nations. The gospel is substantive. And when it goes out, it falls on various people. Do you have any doubts about Christ's love for you? Look at this. This is the blessings of Isaac's soul. Verse 4 says, Prepare food for me, Esau, that my, he says, my soul may bless you. Other translation would be, my, I can give you my inmost blessing, a blessing for my soul. My soul. And then, verse 7, it says, then he blessed him in the presence of the Lord. This blessing has nothing to do with Isaac, even though it's coming from his own soul. The reality is, he's blessing from his own soul, and he can't take it back. The blessing that came from his soul supersedes his own volition, for he wills to bless one, but what comes out of his soul blesses another, and he can't undo it, because these blessings are coming from the presence of God. These blessings are coming distinctly from Jesus Christ. If you find blessings in the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord, it is because they have come to you from the eternal Christ. They have come to you from before time. As Ephesians says, from before the foundations of the world. Jesus said even before there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, before Abraham was, I am. These are the blessings that come from Christ. And they are not fictitious machinations made by us as men. They are blessings that come with eternal promises that God has wired into the world. And the last of them all is God's blessings persist. And this is just remarkably beautiful. The idea of persisting. The idea of persisting is that you can actually move forward despite great difficulty and opposition. And if you see God's blessings coming forward in this story... It is coming through real people, and it cannot be lost. Every character in this story is seeking their own interest. Let that just sink in. Every character in this story is seeking their own self-interest. None of them actually are concerned about the glory of God, the glory of Christ, the glory of the promises, They just want to get ahead. And they're all doing it in terrible ways. Your faults, do you realize this? Your faults cannot falter the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have Isaac here. He failed. The blessings of Christ persisted through Isaac. He never prepared a wife for his son. He had a favored son. He divided his family. He showed favoritism. He wouldn't invite his younger son even to the blessing. And God's blessing still came. It couldn't be undone. Rebecca's deception, coddling her youngest son, making him unhealthy. They're divided in a family. And the blessing still went through a dysfunctional family. You have Jacob here getting the blessing. Getting the blessing from God. Yet he is cunning. He is interested in stepping on everyone to get his way. Stepping over his brother for his birthright and blessing. Anyone in his family that gets in his way, he tricks them. And even when there's a chance that maybe this could go wrong and a curse could fall on himself, he says, I wouldn't do it. And so therefore his curse would have to fall on his own mother. He wouldn't even take any risk for his own wrongdoing. And in the midst of receiving these blessings, he sins at least three times. 
Think of that. Think of the gospel reaching you. Think of God's mercy upon your life. God's mercy came upon Jacob's life while he was sinning. Say it one more time. God's mercy, his saving love, fell upon the head of Jacob exactly at the same moment in which he was sinning against the one who was blessing him. Don't ever think that your salvation rests in you. Don't ever let your relationship to God ever be built on your own performance. Don't ever believe that lie. It is intuitive to think that way. Our consciences bear witness that we are sinners against God. But the gospel must come. It must grab you by the shoulders. And Jesus must tell you in your own soul, I love you. I've forgiven you. And you are blessed. Remember that he saved the world while they were killing him in that moment. You have Jacob here breaking the ninth commandment by bearing false witness. He says, I am Esau. And he's not. You have Jacob right in the midst of receiving the blessings of God's grace, dishonoring his father and breaking the fifth commandment. And as God's grace and mercy are being spoken over his head. He is blaspheming his very name and taking God's name in vain. Isaac said to him, well, how did you hunt the animal so quickly? And he says, the Lord Yahweh has provided me the hunt. He invoked God's holy name in the midst of a lie. Deceiving his father and dishonoring his own house. While God poured blessings on his head in it. The gospel of life. We must say. Is persistent. What sin do you have? What could ever separate you from the love of God in Christ? For his love is the source of that blessing that meets you in the midst of your sin. In the midst of your despair. That is amazing. And let that sit as we meditate upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Closing here he says that we cannot miss this blessing by meditating on the cross. For the cross, the blessing insists comes through the incarnation of the salvation. It subsists. It comes at the very substance of Jesus' own words. That if Jesus says, I have blessed you, then you are blessed. That's it. And that comes in the midst of a dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional marriage, a father who shows favoritism, a mother who manipulates, brothers who hate each other. Does that sound anything like your life maybe at one point in time or the other? Jesus meets you there. That's where salvation happens. It insists through it all. And so we must identify any false prophets in our life. There are many false prophets in the world. 
Some of them are the ones between our own ears, our minds, who lie to us daily. If you are afraid of future, health, finances, family, the promise is that you're blessed. If you are depressed, the promise is that you're blessed. If you are ridden with guilt, the promise is you are blessed. This is the true prophecy. It is unrevocable as that blessing that came from Isaac was. It was done. It was said. And the deathbed blessing of Jesus on that cross, his final words, the moment analogous to what Isaac went through, with his last breath, what would he say? How would he bless? Jesus said this, it is finished. Everything is gone. Your sins are done. And that is the blessing he gives us. It is persistent and inviolable. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for these blessings. Lord, we thank you for this. We pray, Father, that you would continue to remind us of these blessings. Remind us of your Son. Remind us of the cross. Remind us of the blood. Remind us of the atonement that you have provided. Lord, do not let us be afraid. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, if you speak your blessing over us, that all of our sins are gone and the heavens are open before your face, then they are. Lord, if we struggle with our guilt, Lord, we give this to you regularly and we know that your blessings come to us in the midst and especially in the midst of our sins, Lord. We confess them to you and we praise you for your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.